We're three weeks into a series called Reset, and if you're familiar with your iPhone or your smartphone going a little wonky or being a little crazy, sometimes you just got to power that thing down and reset it, and it's amazing when it comes back on, everything just works right. Or if you grew up in the 80s like me and you had that original Nintendo, you've heard the analogy uh, in the last few weeks, it never seemed to work quite right. You never knew what you were going to get when you put Super Mario Brothers in that bad boy. And half the time the light would blink and you'd take the cartridge out and you'd blow in it, you'd hit reset, and away you'd go. Even then. You weren't sure if it was going to work. You might have to do it quite a few times. But how many of you, you don't have to raise your hand, but how, how, how many of you wish you had a couple do-overs that you could do differently in your life? Oh, yeah, you do. Young and old raising their hands this morning. There are conversations that I have had, and then I think, I wish I could go back say that different there are also those moments where you wish I wish I could go back and say that different where you just want to you know you you have it replaying in your mind that's not what we're talking about this morning I know those yeah none of you think that way at all oh there are conversations in your marriage that you, you you I'd like to take that back I'd like to say that differently with your children with your mother, your father, your brother, your sister. There are things that you spend money on that after it's all said and done, you think to yourself, why am I doing this? Why did I buy that car that is way too expensive for what I need and can't afford? Or that jet ski, or sea-doo, or whatever it might be, that we buy and chain ourselves to. And the second we get home, you have that little thing called buyer's remorse. Oh, yeah. Nobody here has ever felt that way before. Of course not. No, we've got all kinds of things that we wish we could do over jobs or saying yes to a job or no to a job. I wish I had that over. Or I dropped out of school and I wish I hadn't. See, many of us, we understand the concept of a reset, of a do-over. And the reality is this. What we're really talking about is the pursuit of a better life. You wish you could do it differently because the results would have been better than the life you're currently living or the situation you're currently in. With me? That's why we want those. We're after life. We're after the abundant life that Jesus so eloquently describes in John chapter 10. He says, the thief came to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and life more abundantly. That is both life to come, eternal life, but it is also life right now. And I can tell when I find myself looking for life, the abundant life in all the wrong spots, all the wrong places. You do too. Your head begins to wander. Your heart begins to wander. 
I can feel that creeping inside of me. And, and sometimes I, I find myself getting critical. I find myself feeling overwhelmed. I find myself just getting, getting short-tempered and, and, and quick-tempered. And, I, and I, what I'm really doing is it's, it's, the, it's the overflow of me trying to find what only Jesus can provide in other things. You've heard the song, Looking for Love in All the Wrong Places. But we do that. It's like the most prophetic song in the world. Looking for life, looking for love, and we do it in all the wrong places. I have great news for you. Jesus gives you the chance over and over again to follow him afresh. Whether it's your first time and you've never made that decision before, or whether you're like me and you've just you're you're bopping along and and you just need oh man I, I just I've been misstepping and I didn't realize it but the Holy Spirit's beginning to convict me or conversations with other people it's bringing a conviction and I need to just reorient my life a little bit. That is the beauty of following Jesus. It's very different, isn't it, than that original Nintendo? Because, did anybody ever play Super Mario 1? I know, I, I realize what I'm doing. Some of you, this might be lost on you. Just bear with me for a second. It's like the very first Nintendo game. And my parents were so excited when they brought a Nintendo to our house. I think I was probably about seven years old. And of course, I'm in line trying to play, but my parents are playing, okay? <laughs> and they finally, I mean, we're talking a week and a half solid of trying to get to Bowser, the boss. And they finally get there. And then finally, they finally beat Bowser, only to discover that the princess is in another castle. If you remember the little slogan, we're sorry, but the princess is in another castle. My parents quit playing video games forever after that moment. I am not kidding. They will attest to it. They were so anxious and so stressed out trying to beat just the first boss in Super Mario 1. And they finally did. They thought the game was over, but no, there's a lot more left to go. And they weren't very good at it. And there was so much pressure, and they had to leave it to the professionals to get the job done. You know what I'm talking about, though. Because in the original Nintendo, when you saw the words game over, it meant game over. You didn't get a participation trophy because you played the game and somehow get to just keep going. No, that, that didn't exist. Your game was over and you just, you were set all the way back to the beginning. It was... Yeah, There's ten, I can feel the sweat, the, the stress of it right now. Anybody know what I'm talking about? That you're, you, You've got one guy left, and you finally get to the boss. You've got to pause the game. You've got to take a breather. I mean, you've got the palm sweat going here. Like, I might actually beat this game, but if I die, it's all she wrote. And so the search 
for extra lives was all that much more important. Now, you know where I'm going to go here. Because we've got a video game kind of themed series, reset, technology. But the reality is this. Just like you need an extra battery when your phone dies. And they sell by the hundreds of thousands of now. And when you're playing a video game, especially one that's hard, you do everything you can. You go out of the way. You smash bricks. You kill bad guys to find the little one-up, the extra man, to extend your life. You're searching for life. You're searching for extra lives, and you'll do anything to make sure that you get it. And your search for real life, in some ways, is similar. And I have better news than your lame video game system or your backup battery that doesn't work. You don't have to break through walls to find the life that Jesus offers. You don't have to know the little secret places to jump to make a mushroom appear, to get a couple extra guys, or the the secret thing or the secret that. No, Jesus offers life for you and me. It's free. And all he is asking is for some people to have faith about the size of a mustard seed. Just believe. Come after me. Be willing. And your heart will be full. Here's the deal. Turn to, turn to Matthew 4, 18 through 20, because this morning we're talking about following Jesus and resetting who we are and what we know about pursuing Jesus Christ. And the reality is this, many of us find ourselves without life. We are not experiencing the life that Jesus offers right here and right now because we're not following him the way he simply asks us to follow him. Matthew 4, 18 through 20, we see the first people that Jesus calls to follow him. We've been reading it. The past several weeks, I'm going to read it again. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. And at once they left their nets and followed him. Jesus calls Peter and Andrew, and the first thing that he says is, follow me, and I will send you out to fish for people. I'll say that one more time. Jesus calls the very first disciples, and before he calls them to have a great life, Before he even calls them to start changing the way they live. Before he does anything. Before they do anything. He lets them know by the simple virtue of you choosing to follow me. I am going to send you out to help other people follow me. I'm going to help you fish for men. Meaning that following Jesus, there's a natural byproduct that you're helping other people 
follow Jesus. Does that make sense this morning? Because for many of us, living for Jesus is something we do by ourselves. Last week we talked about the value of having church relationships, Christian relationships, and the power that the church has for you and me together. And now we're going to come at it from a different angle. To follow Jesus is to invest your life in people who aren't following Jesus. And to say that we're following Jesus and have no concern for those that aren't following Jesus actually means that you're not following Jesus. Luke 5, the next person that Jesus calls is Matthew, also known as Levi. It says, later as Jesus left the town, he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple. So Levi got up, Levi got up, left everything and followed him. You got to love the courage that these guys have. Hey, follow me. Okay. I'm just going to leave my job, leave my net, leave my tax collector booth. And they do. It's impressive. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house. And a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Levi chooses to follow Jesus. He answers the call. And what is the first thing that Levi does? He goes to synagogue. No, that is not what he does. He gets in a Bible study. False, that is also not what he did. He didn't begin to memorize scripture or learn all the words to the worship songs. He didn't learn the Christian lingo of, uh, for what it meant to follow Jesus at the time. No, none of that. All those things can be good. But hear me. Would you like to follow me? Yes. Boy, the first thing that I feel compelled to do is to throw a party and invite all of my unsaved friends to come and meet you, Jesus. That's what he does. The very thing that Jesus invites Peter and Andrew to do from the fishing boat is the very thing that we see Matthew doing in just the next page of the Bible. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Your life is going to impact other people. This is not just about you. To follow Jesus is to invest your life in people who aren't following Jesus. I'm going to say it another way. You need friends that aren't Christians. You need friends that are not believers. Now, some of you are uncomfortable as I'm saying that right now. I realize that. Some of you, this is not what you have been taught the average Christian, by the time they are two years old in the faith, has no 
they no longer have any friendships that are not Christians. In 24 months, they call this, we call this people shedding. In 24 months, after coming to faith, the average Christian has no relationship any longer with someone who doesn't believe. At least a true, real friendship. And you need to hear me this morning. That is tragic. And that is not actually the gospel. Jesus has not called us to hide in our little holy huddle where we just kind of have our, our little Christian thing that is not what he's asked us to do. That is not what he lays out as an invitation for following him. It's actually the opposite. What was a common, one of the common things that Jesus was accused of he was a friend of sinners people that were jacked up Jesus was sitting next to he's talking to he's praying with he's laughing with he's doing life with now hear me when I say that you need friendships that are not Christians obviously the hope is that those who don't believe would one day believe there's intentionality there but understand, there has to be intentionality there. Meaning you have to be willing to see that there is someone who doesn't know Jesus and they need you as their friend. Jesus did it. Jesus would still be looked at today. I guarantee it. And we'd say to ourselves, why is he doing what he's doing? Why is he with those people? That's not who I expected him to be with. Jesus has an amazing capacity to flip what we think and expect and do what's truly right. When was the last time that you were accused of being a friend of people who are sinners? When is the last time that you were concerned about your reputation because of the people you were spending time with? Seriously, think about it. When is the last time you had to explain yourself or someone asked you to explain yourself? I realize I'm walking on thin ice in this conversation. Because what I'm not saying is live like the world lives. But what I am saying is that you and I have to enter the world that the world is living in. And begin to share the gospel and love people the way Jesus loved people. That we might introduce them to the only thing that can truly change their life and make them new. And that is Jesus Christ and him alone. How is that going to happen if all we do is hang out with other Christians? It won't. To follow Jesus is to invest your life in people. 
who don't know what it looks like to follow Jesus. You have a job with influence. What does it look like? Without hearing manipulation, I'm not into that. We've seen that. That's not godly. But what does it look like to use your influence as, a, as, as someone who has, has significance, leadership, to bring people to Christ? To bring people to, I mean, maybe you don't know how to share the gospel with someone. Well, what could you do? How can you make a difference? How can you begin to introduce people to Jesus? We obviously had to quip which is a class we've begun once a month to help you, train you, equip you to share your faith. But if you haven't gone through that and you find that overwhelming, you can at least begin to bring people and invite someone to a community like this so that those who don't believe might be able to to sit, stand, listen, hear, question, ask, and begin to grow slowly but surely in faith. It's not rocket science. It's actually really simple. But the whole thing breaks down when all we do is know each other. I'll give you four reasons. We had one of our shorter services ever last week because we had the cookout, which was awesome And I had more people tell me how amazing they thought church was. (sighs) So, fine. That's fine. You know what? It's great. So, I had just some real simple points. (laughs) Real simple, hopefully easy takeaways. And so I did it again this week. I like to tell stories and I don't always do point one, point two, point three, But because this is a little bit difficult for some of us to grasp, I'm going to give you four reasons why you need relationships with people that are not believers. Are you ready? This is the top four. If you're on Facebook and you see the, you know, the top six this and the top four that, that's what you got this morning. Top four reasons why you need relationships with people who don't know Jesus. Because Luke 5, 31, Jesus says this himself, and I'm quoting him, because they're sick and they need hope. Guess what? So were you. Apart from Jesus, there is a sickness of the heart that will never find, it will never find hope. It will never find rest, and it will never find peace. I find it interesting that those who had the greatest problem with this were a group of men. They're complaining to Jesus' disciples. Why is he spending time with these people? Like what? I mean, come on. They're the teachers of the law, the ones who should know what the, the scriptures have to say. In fact, they're a part of a ruling council. It was called the Sanhedrin. There's about 72 men that served on the Sanhedrin. And and they were one of two camps. You were either a part of the Sadducees, which were, they had a very liberal take on Scripture. 
Or you were part of the Pharisees, which they, they were the strict interpreters of the law. One of the two. And the interesting thing about being a Sadducee is you couldn't earn your way into it. You were born into, the, into this, uh, this group of religious elite. If you chose to be a Sadducee, you could only be so if your heritage was right. Not so if you were a Pharisee. The Pharisees became Pharisees by one thing and one thing only, hard work. Anybody, in theory, could do it if they could memorize enough, learn enough, and teach well enough. Interestingly enough that it doesn't matter what side of the camp they were on, where they both ran into problems with God and Jesus was his treatment of those who were sick and needed hope. Sometimes when you look at Christianity, those of us who've grown up in it and those of us who've worked super hard to get our life looking right more often than not, we're the ones who have the biggest problem. When I stand up here and say, we need to have friendships with people who don't know Jesus. It's the religious spirit that can just cling to us, that wants us to somehow, you've got to prove yourself, you've got to work hard enough, you've got to do this, do that, you've got to earn this, and by the way, us and no more. That isn't the gospel. And that isn't Jesus. Because Jesus came to give hope to a sick and dying world. And that included you, and it includes every single, everybody else on Giles Road, in Kennesaw, down the street, on Cobb 41, you name it. Them too. Number two, why do you need relationships with people that don't know Jesus? Because they will keep you real. Oh, we smile and laugh, don't we? Because we're going to go to lunch and someone's going to say something like this. Spirit was really moving today. Spirit was moving, brother. You're right. Holy Spirit was moving, but what, what, does that, what does that mean? What does that even mean? Walk with me here because we learn to speak in a language that only people that are Christians understand. Fellowship. Man, let's get together for some fellowship. What? Who uses that word except Christians? Nobody does. How's the football team? How's the fellowship going on the football team? These guys? No way. Get out of here. People don't talk like that. They don't use those words like that. They simply don't. The spirit's moving. The spirit's mo- What you really mean is service was awesome. That's how people really talk. And when you have friends that don't know Jesus and aren't doing this, they will keep you tethered to reality in how to communicate to people who don't know Jesus. Because all of you know, when you've been around someone who's just lost touch with reality and they no longer know how to talk to people that aren't Christians. Been there? Of course you have. Lordship. 
Discipleship. Have you been discipled? Well, <laughs> what does that even mean? Are you in a cult? Because I'm pretty sure that sounds cultish. And it does. It's exclusive to Christians. Even things like, hey, man, uh, four people got saved this week. People don't know what that even means. Saved from what? And so learning to reinvent how you speak, actually not reinventing, just talking in a way that an unchurched, unsaved, unchristian, unbelieving person would understand. They help you stay real and grounded, which means it helps you stay sharp and effective. And you and I need that. I need that. I will sit down with people, some of you who are new here, and I'm asking you questions. Does this make sense? Does this make sense? Help me communicate better. Because we want to stay sharp. You know why else? Because number three, people that are not Christians will ask you really difficult questions. People in here, they're not going to ask you that tough questions. Because you just have learned to accept truth as truth. That is not the case for someone. Because you want to say, well, the Bible says it. Well, what happens when someone doesn't believe the Bible? Or they're not sure what the Bible says? And so you need unbelieving friends to help you grow in your knowledge of what is true and right. Oh, that's right. I've got a friend on Facebook. It doesn't matter what I post for our church page. She's coming for me. I mean, and some of you have seen it. Sometimes it can get a little bit mean. But I'm going to be really honest with you. Half the time she's asking me questions and it makes me mad. But the only reason it makes me mad is because I don't know how to answer what she's asking. Oh, aren't we so good at that? Our feathers get ruffled. People would ask us things. Well, what's wrong with you? You, you beep. And then you just begin to attack people's character because that's the easiest way to just simply make yourself feel better and win the argument. I mean, everybody on Facebook does that and social media. What if you actually allowed an unbeliever to help you grow in why you believe what you believe? Because you took their questions seriously. Because Jesus took their questions seriously. Because Jesus looked and saw people who needed him, who needed hope, who needed a Messiah and a Savior. And the only way they were going to come to a place of faith was to find the freedom and safety to ask the questions that someone would be willing to go to work on, find an answer for, and bring it back to the table. You know how many times it doesn't matter that people call me pastor? I don't have the answers to a lot of things. A lot of things. And I've got to go and get books out and read and seek and pray and get and look in the Bible. And somebody asked me, why is there so much death and murder in the Old Testament? Why did God instruct the murder of whole families 
in the Old Testament. This is somebody who's not a Christian, and I had nothing good to really say to them. Well, I'm a pastor for God's sake. Shouldn't I have all the answers? No, because people will ask you things that are going to force you to grow in how you communicate with somebody who's not a believer. So I had to go, and I had to do my work, and I had to pray and seek it out for one reason and one reason alone. Because Jesus died for them just as much as he died for me. And if I can do my part in helping people just a little bit, understand or take one step of faith, just one step of faith towards Jesus, that's all, that's all we need. A mustard seed of faith. I'll give you one last thing here. <laughs> you know why else you need relationships with people that aren't Christian? Because Jesus did. If Jesus did it, it's good enough for me. If I'm calling myself a follower of Jesus, then that literally means I should be following Jesus. And if he valued people who didn't know him and that were a train wreck and that the rest of society had deemed an outcast, then maybe I should too. Jesus did it good enough for me so here's what I'm asking you to do today I'm asking you to get off the Christian ghetto and invest your life in other people who don't know Jesus if you've never heard that term before it's a, it's a common one in, in theologians. We call it the Christian ghetto, meaning it's the place where, where everyone just groups. We read the same things. We sing the same songs. We know all the right words. Step off of that for a minute and begin to reorient your life so that you place a precedent and value on investing in people who don't know God. It's not rocket science. It's very simple to understand and very hard to actually do. And so I'm talking about you learning your neighbor's name. I'm talking about you having a dinner party at your house for no other reason than getting to know the people that live around you and investing in their life. That you might have the opportunity in the future to extend an invitation to share the gospel to pray reorient your life in such a way that God can use you in the life of people who don't know him the only way it happens is if we choose to value it 
and do something about it.